This is the Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. The Political Insider is your inside source on politics from the White House to the State House and all points in between. If it's in the headlines, the Political Insider will have the story. Let's get started. Here's Bill Ballinger. Welcome, weekend warriors of Michigan politics and government. It's been a tough year, folks. We all know that. Maybe the toughest ever. But tis the season to be jolly, right? Let's try to end it in the spirit of forgiveness and help is on the way. For example, it is the state of Michigan that is once again in the national spotlight because Pfizer Pharmaceutical Company is located in Portage, a suburb of Kalamazoo, and they have produced the first anti-coronavirus vaccine that we all have been waiting for. Numerous video footage of trucks rolling out of the Pfizer plant a week ago with tons of vaccine were all over the media and then airplane flights out of Lansing's Capital City Airport with that same vaccine after the Pfizer trucks arrived in the capital city. These are now being distributed all over the globe. And as you know, shots are already being administered. That's something to cheer about. Next, let us applaud the first Michigan governor in half a century to be appointed to a presidential cabinet. Not since Richard Nixon appointed George Romney, that would be Mitt's father, to be Secretary of Housing and Urban Development in 1969 if we had a Michigan governor make it to the big show on the banks of the Potomac. But now former Governor Jennifer Granholm has, when President-elect Joe Biden appointed her to be the next Secretary of Energy beginning in 2021 when he assumes office. I know Granholm was born in Canada, raised in California, And after she was governor, left Michigan never to be seen again. But she was our governor. And we should be proud that her service in that capacity was undoubtedly the main factor in her being chosen by Biden for her new job. Now, in the spirit of forgiveness, I want to mention a minor incident that has escaped virtually everyone's attention, but which has never happened before in Michigan political history. A member of the Michigan legislature who was ostracized by his colleagues but not removed from office has apparently in the closing days of this year's legislative session been allowed to return to the good graces of his compatriots in the State House of Representatives. Yes. According to the Michigan Information Research Service newsletter, Representative Larry Inman, Republican of Traverse City, was allowed to return to the House Republican Caucus late last week after being kicked out in the spring of 2019 for being indicted by the federal government on bribery charges. At the time, the House passed a resolution calling on Inman to resign, but he refused. He maintained his innocence and he fought the charges. Federal prosecutors were not able to get a conviction and are trying to convince a judge even now to let them try again. While all this was going on, Inman was stripped of his staff and barred from his house office. This has gone on for nearly a year and a half. It's unprecedented. Never happened before. But this month, House Speaker Lee Chatfield made the call to allow Inman to return to conclude a session in which clearing the slate for those who made a mistake in their past was a consistent 
bipartisan theme. Said Chatfield, the speaker, when he was asked about it, quote, we passed expungement. Then we practiced expungement, he said. Inman said he prays that federal judge Robert J. Yonker, quote, will give me my life and integrity back, unquote. And Inman continued, quote, I walked in this term as a member of the Republican caucus, and I am ending my term in good standing with the Republican caucus. I have learned the addiction to narcotics and medications can destroy careers, families, and create a financial meltdown. I am encouraged that I believe the Speaker and the Republican caucus now understand what I have gone through over the past two years, and most have been praying for me, unquote. Finally, yes, lawmakers in Washington, D.C. and Lansing finally passed separate COVID-19 relief packages at the beginning of the week. These measures are designed to help unemployed workers and shuttered businesses impacted by government-imposed shutdowns designed to prevent coronavirus spread. The measures both assist with vaccine distribution and COVID-19 testing. What will the $908 billion Bipartisan Emergency COVID Relief Act of 2020 accomplish? Well, for one, it gives a $600 per person stimulus payment to residents. I know they're talking now maybe upping that to $2,000 per person. That would cost another $370 billion, but don't count on it. Secondly, The package extends unemployment benefits 16 more weeks with an extra $300 per week. It also provides $284 billion for a second round of Paycheck Protection Program funding and loan forgiveness for the first round of loans. It provides $82 billion in funding for schools and colleges, including $2.3 billion for Michigan. It provides $69 billion for vaccine distribution and COVID-19 testing. It provides $25 billion for emergency rental assistance and the extension of an eviction moratorium through January 31st. It offers $13 billion for emergency food assistance for programs like SNAP, SNAP assistance, and funding for food banks and food pantries. It offers $13 billion to address COVID-related impacts on farmers, ranchers, growers, and fisheries. It provides $7 million to increase broadband access. Now, did Michigan's entire congressional delegation support this relief package? No, but 12 of the 14 U.S. House members did support it. Representative Rashida Tlaib, a Democrat of Detroit, and U.S. Representative Justin Amash, who is now an independent, formerly a Republican, cast the no votes. Tlaib called the package funding, quote, woefully inadequate in addressing the needs of the people, unquote. But what about Michigan government? Did it do anything to help the cause? Well, yes. The state's unemployment fund will receive a $220 million boost from the state's general fund to prevent businesses from potentially needing to pay an extra fee to keep the fund afloat under a $470 million supplemental appropriation that was sent to the governor and signed. The budget office is looking into whether the proposed federal stimulus can replace that state money. The answer to this question is a top priority for policymakers here in Michigan because, as I just mentioned, the unemployment insurance fund bailout as of now is coming out of the state's operational budget. 
Regardless, both the House and the Senate here in Michigan, with strong bipartisan support, showed little hesitation towards spending $443 million in mostly COVID relief money before adjourning for the session. This legislation includes, for instance, a $45 million program that will give workers left unemployed through the last round of government-mandated shutdowns a $1,650 check from the state treasury. It gives $63.5 million in survival grants for small businesses forced to shut down due to the COVID-19 restrictions. It gives $115.3 million to address nursing shortages, including an extension of the pay increase for direct care workers. It gives $79.1 million to expand virus testing and vaccine distribution, including money to revamp up testing of teachers. It also gives $10 million for hospitals to hire temporary staff. Hospitals also are getting $3.3 million to house COVID-positive nursing home residents. Here's what House Speaker Lee Chatfield said about what happened, and I'm going to quote him. The coronavirus created an impossible situation. Moving forward, state government must provide better answers. Now, I'll just mention several things more. The focus of the congressional package, as I said, is $600 million per person stimulus checks. Excuse me, $600 per person, not million, and an extra $300 a week in extended unemployment benefits. No relief now for state and local governments. Well, I guess we can't have everything. But that's a start, and it's good news during this Yuletide season. That's it for this little chapter, but stay tuned because we've got some interesting guests coming up. This is MTN. And you're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger. Here's Bill. As promised, we are back, and we've got a great guest on the line with us. His name is John DeMoose, D-A-M-O-O-S-E, DeMoose. Uh, And John DeMoose represents, or will represent, beginning in January, the 107th House District, and that is uh, an area that... John DeMoose, with that name, really, really (laughs) prospered in uh, because it's the only district out of 110 in the Michigan House that spans the Straits of Mackinac and includes Chippewa and Mackinac counties in the UP. And that means Sault Ste. Marie and St. Ignace. And it's also got Emmett County in the Lower Peninsula. It's got part of Sheboygan County. It's got the city of Sheboygan and six townships. John DeMoose is a Republican from Harbor Springs. John DeMoose, welcome to the Political Insider. Well, thank you so much. You know this inside now, and I can tell. I be, and I can also tell you that I've been made fun of for this crazy last name my whole life, and finally it, came, <laughs> it, came, it uh, was useful, I guess. It finally it paid off. It paid off, you know. You had, good things were on the way your entire life. Well, look, uh, (laughs) let me just ask you, you had a big primary up there. And by the way, this was for an open seat uh, because the Speaker of the House right now, Lee Chatfield, is a Republican from Levering, which is a small town in the northern tip of the Lower Peninsula, and he is term limited. So it was an open seat. So John DeMoose has got some big shoes to fill so uh, how how about that? And how many candidates uh, did you face in the primary? And then what happened? 
Yeah, I mean, you're exactly right. And I actually kind of feel bad our district is going from having the Speaker of the House to just the new guy. <laughs> That's the way our system works. And so uh, hopefully I'll bring a different perspective or some new ideas to this um, and compliment the, I think, wonderful job that Lee Chatfield has done. But, yeah, it was a it was a crowded primary. There were seven of us running for an open seat, and it went very well. I, I mean, we worked really, really hard and ended up winning 56% of the vote. So I think that was that was pretty good and pretty resounding. We were thrilled with that. And then um, and then one in the in the general election. So, but having come out of the business world for thirty years, you know, it's funny you think, oh, this is great. I've been involved on the periphery of politics for all this time, but figured I know everything about this because I'm involved. I pay attention, and you very quickly realize this is a totally <laughs> different animal, and so we had to adjust quickly to it. So, well, tell us. Uh, you mentioned your business career. Tell us the John Demuse story. I mean your sure. background and your businesses and so forth. Yep. I'll tell you. So I always thought I'd go straight into politics. And I was one of the lucky ones who grew up with Ronald Reagan as president. And if you remember, I was eight when he came in, 16 when he left. So those were my formative years. And you'll remember the, the addresses he would always do from the Oval Office. And I mean, I was a kid. I didn't necessarily know what he was talking about. But there was just something about him that made me think, you know, a president is just larger than life, and it really formed my political uh, whole whole view of government, uh, in fact. So then when I was in college, I went to the University of Michigan, and I became the president of the college Republicans there. And this was in the early 90s when political correctness was sweeping the nation. And so and they had no – I always wondered, who are these people all mad at? Because all the professors <laughs> kind of all agreed with all the students, and there was nobody – so nobody they were arguing with. And so we stood up our hands and said, argue with us. And became one of the biggest student groups on campus. But right afterwards, I got offered a dream job in politics. So I just really, really felt called. I was a new Christian believer at that point, and I felt like I was meant to do something different for the time being. So I got a job at the Christian Broadcasting Network and ended up producing a two-hour documentary on the history of America. And that ended up start, uh, launching me into starting a business, um, uh, b producing documentaries and advertising and marketing and um so I started that with my dad, and he sort of ran the business. I ran the creative side of it. And then we ended up doing a lot of um, poli not political documentaries, but patriotic American documentaries based on the idea that even in this deeply divided age, there must be certain things all Americans can be proud of. And so we did a film on Arlington Cemetery, for instance, and what that said about our country. And Medal of Honor recipients, these wonderful, wonderful people who just sacrificed themselves in ways that are, are unimaginable to, to the rest of us, I guess. And so we ended up doing a lot of that advertising and marketing. And I just, uh, it sort of, one thing led to another. We ended up touching a lot of different fields in, in the career. And I felt, well, being a legislator is about touching a lot of different um, different issues and different or organizations and different industries. And we have that experience. And I thought I'd jump in now. It's always been a lifelong dream. So. Were you always from that area of Michigan? I mean, the Harbor Springs area. Did you go to high school up there? No, actually, I didn't. I grew up um, downstate. I grew up coming up here since I was a little kid. And so, and then we, by the time I was a teenager, I would work up here in the summers. And my wife and I bought a, we got married young and bought a cabin up here as soon as we can. And then moved up here the first moment we realized we could work from wherever we wanted to be. So I've been up here for 10 years full time, but we've been up here for 40 years. Um, 
part-time. So Right. Well, uh, why did you finally decide after all this time to run? I mean, you could have run six years ago, for instance, when the seat was open. That's when uh, Lee Chatfield actually, uh, it wasn't open. He knocked off an incumbent, Frank Foster, you probably right. know. Um, but, I mean, there were other times probably in the past you could have run. What made you want to run this year? Well, a couple things. One is, so we, I've gotten involved for the past 25 years with a group in Washington that does the National Prayer Breakfast. And that's the, the President of the United States comes every year since Eisenhower, but that, so it's well known, but that's the only thing they do in the public eye. They work tirelessly behind the scenes bringing people together, Republicans and Democrats, and, um, and sort of trying to rebuild a sense of grace and civility. And we work with a number of organizations in Washington for this. So that that really has in the past several years made me think, you know, right now we're in, I mean, it's so strident out there, so divided. There must be room for a different kind of leadership where you don't have to give up your principles, but you also don't have to hate everybody on the other side. So that was really growing on my uh, on me over the past few years. Then what really sealed the deal was watching what was happening with the pandemic. Um, so we got in, you know, in late March or early April there, and I just looked at our business and I thought, just like so many other businesses. All right, we started it in 2000. It got hit hard by 9-11. We rebuilt it, and it got hit hard, really hard, by the Great Recession. Rebuilt it, and it took almost 10 years. And I thought, well, you know what? I can rebuild it again, and I will, and I have to some extent. But if we shut down again, you know what? It's not worth it. And I wonder if how many other businesses feel like with all the uncertainty out there, with the government that can't sort of assure what we're going to do or come up with plans that, that are reliable, there must be thousands of other businesses in the same situation I was. That You know, we could probably rebuild it again, but after a while it, it becomes not worth it. And I thought, you know what, this is an area I might be able to speak into. And so that what really got me going was the idea that we should institutionalize approaches to future emergencies. And I, I gave great, great measure of grace to both the president and the governor in the beginning here, especially because this whole crisis that we're in was new for everybody. I believe everybody had the best intentions and they were trying their hardest on it, but we've got to do a better job next time. So that, and then that got me looking at all the, all the backgrounds. And so that, that's one of the top things our district needs is workforce development. And it just seemed like I've got some things that this career so far, uh, might be able to, I might be able to use and benefit the people with. So. I think uh, you sound like you got the right attitude and the right background. Uh, listen, believe it or not, we're out of time. I mean, I'm, I, I'm just, I'm just getting started. I'm getting started asking you questions. John DeMoose, thank you so much for being our guest. Thank Republican you. of Harbor Springs, who will be the new state representative from the 107th House District beginning in January. Thank you, John DeMoose. And Thanks for having me on. <laughs> we'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned and we have another fascinating guest who will be a member of the State House of Representatives beginning in January for the first time. He's newly elected, David Martin, a Republican of Davison. David Martin, welcome to the Political Insider. Good morning. Pleasure to be here. Well, David Martin represents the 48th House District, if I'm not mistaken. That includes Clio, Davison, and Montrose in Genesee County and two townships in North 
in eastern Genesee County. Is that an accurate description? Close. I mean, it's the northeast and northern townships, but includes a corner where Genesee Township is located. Yeah, actually, it's seven townships, isn't it, really? Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, you are one of only two Republicans who defeated Democratic incumbents in this election, which was quite a remarkable achievement, and it allowed the Republicans to retain a 58-52 margin of majority status in the state house. Uh, when you begin in January. So, David Martin, I'd just like to ask you, uh, why did you decide to run? I know you've been on the Genesee County Board of Commissioners, so you've gotten your feet wet politically, but you decided I'm going to give up my seat on the county board and I'm going to go for this against an incumbent, which is a very tough thing to do, and you pulled it off. Yes, it was not, you know, I have I had no ambition to initially do this, Um I, I had no connections to know the uh, money-raising uh, uh, side of it. Uh, but when the right people came and asked me and they said, uh, uh, this is uh, something that we would like to look at, would you be interested? You've won your county seat in this district. Um, you know, we think it's your message will carry on uh, to the state house, And uh, I thought so, too. I just didn't know about how to do the funding. And they put the funding together, and we did the groundwork, and um, it, it paid off. Well, what is the David Martin story? What's your background? Uh, I retired from the Air Force. I'm originally from Davison, graduated from Davison, went in the Air Force immediately when unemployment was 30% here in the Tennessee County area back in 1979-80, and uh, ended up retiring and coming back to my hometown. Um, Ten years later, uh, after being you know, in the workplace and so forth and paying taxes in my hometown, I, I saw some things I'd like to do on the city council. Uh, so I was on the city council for four years. Like I had a job in Oakland County. The commute was just terrible, so I um, didn't commit the time to the city council. And then the same type of issues came up in the county. I'll, I'd always sat and had dinner, whether it's at uh, a chicken dinner at a Masonic Center, a uh, fish dinner at uh, the Knights of Columbus, wherever it happened to be. I, I would get this message where everybody's talking conservative values, their family values, um, their firearms for their personal use, not necessarily just for hunting. Just different things like that. I kept clued in. And every time I asked them who they voted for, they always voted for the Democrat. I said, this makes no sense. So we started talking <laughs> values and not political parties. And, and uh, it, it turns out that people's values weren't being represented. Yeah, I think a lot of people's uh, values have propelled them away from the Democratic Party toward the Republican Party, particularly in your area, wouldn't you say? It, it, uh, I, I, I can't tell you how many times I knocked on somebody's door and they just shake their head and say, you know, I've been a union worker all my life. I've always voted Democrat, but they've they've left me. Uh, literally, sometimes I'd say they've gone crazy on me. And um, I said, I, I'm not trying to change your label. I said, but I'd like you to vote your values. Wow. Well, that brings up the question of what did you encounter this year uh, when you found yourself running uh, in a difficult situation against an incumbent uh, in an unprecedented year of the coronavirus? I mean, did you go door to door? What was the reaction of people? Was that a complicating factor? Was it far more difficult, you can imagine, than campaigning in the past for other offices? Right. We, we did door to door. There was no question we were going to do that. We needed to get my, uh, I had a little bit of name recognition from the county, but we're going against incumbent. We needed people to know who I, I was. They needed to know me personally. And I did a lot of doors. We probably did Oh, around 10,000 doors, um, and I did a, a large majority of those, and it, it took a lot of time, and I still had a job. I uh, worked at Mock College doing uh, veteran services, 
So a lot of it was in the evening on weekends. Took a lot of time, but we put the ground game together. People were thrilled that we came to the door. There's a few people who step back and, and, and say a, a comment, but they seem to be they, – they, most everybody, even if they step back, were still glad to have an interaction with somebody. They seemed to be you know, isolated in their house, and they were just happy that some normalcy came to their door. That's just my uh, personal opinion, the way I viewed it. Probably accurate. I mean, people were getting lonely, I think. <laughs> you know, here was somebody, you know, coming to their door that they could converse with. What And on a topic they needed to, to get answers for. Yeah. You know, what's going on with the state? Uh, what's going on with jobs? Uh, you know, what's going on with uh, opening the economy back up? Uh, those were real questions that people needed answers to. Of course, the legislature didn't, you know, try to get answers, uh, but they were, you know, stonewalled many times by the uh, executive branch. Um, so, you know, I didn't have all the answers, but I promised I'd go out there and work for them, and we will. In other words, you kind of got reinforced by the people you met on the campaign trail, your own feelings uh, going into the campaign, that maybe the state wasn't responding to this the way it should and that the governor had maybe taken a slightly uh, ineffective approach, uh, you know, depending on you know, the fallout from what she did, uh, the executive orders that caused lockdowns, shutdowns of business and so forth. Did you get any sense about that from people? Did they feel uh, her approach was wrong or did you get a lot of people saying, you know, she was dealt a bad hand and she's doing the best she can? I don't know if I can say that they thought they're wrong because they, they, they could tell also that they weren't scientists and they were hoping that, you know, the health departments had uh, uh, answers for them. Uh, but at the same time, um, they weren't prepared to be homeschoolers. They weren't prepared to give up their job. And even when their job uh, was closed because of the lockdowns, um, being at home with their uh, kids on, online trying to do training, um, maybe they only had one computer at home, and they had to scramble to find how to look up another computer. Maybe Dad was home working also, and uh, so the uh, Internet uh, uh, connection and the uh, available computers were tied up. Um, I had a student here that was um, taking classes online or actually coming to campus, and then they are all made to be online classes, but her husband was home working online, her kids were at home working online, and she had, couldn't take her classes. So she missed out on taking classes and hadn't gotten her degree, and, and that might... Uh, you know, hamper her career development in the future. So there's a lot of people had stories that it impacted one way or the other. And a lot of it was because uh, homeschooling, uh, being at home, not having the job, uh, it, it just hampered their, not just their lifestyle, but their livelihood and worried about their mortgage and their car payments and, and things like that. David Martin, did you have any debates with your Democratic incumbent uh, opponent, Cheryl Kennedy, uh, or joint appearances, in, any interaction with her at all? Uh, negative. Um, uh, most everything she did was uh, a very social distance. Uh, there, was, there was no contact. Um, you know, we would respond to something that come up on Facebook or something, and and just our our personal viewpoint, not not attack, um, and just made sure that our message was out there. And we kept right on point with the differences. You know, we didn't waffle. This is our point. This is our uh, our value. Uh, we didn't say out of one side of our mouth uh, we're going to support laborers on the other side of the mouth uh, take. Uh, um, sponsorships from, uh, you know, Sierra Club that you know wants to get rid of Line Five. We didn't have a mixed message. We had a solid message, and that really played out well for us. Did you hear from her after the election at all? No. Uh, the only concession I got was uh, on Facebook when she said uh, she wasn't going to contest the uh, 489 uh, vote count, and that's that's the best I got from her. 
Wow. I mean, I didn't expect much. It wasn't, uh, I, I have no idea. It wasn't my ego that needed to hear that. Um, so uh, most people just are, were a little bit surprised, but I guess they weren't surprised. They just uh, just kind of shrugged their shoulders and said that's the way it is. Have you ever met Cheryl Kennedy? Um, as a county commissioner, I was at several functions with her. Uh, as her being the state rep and me being the county commissioner for things that are happening in Genesee County, uh, community development or uh, you know, um, Richfield Township uh, landfill. Uh, we sat on you know that uh, discussions on how to make sure that was being funded and being taken care of, and the community was, um, you know, the risks were being uh, addressed. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I knew her. Sure. Uh, but, yeah, it wasn't a social thing, no. Right. Well, listen, David, Martin, we could go on and on. There's so many more things I want to ask you about, but you've done a great job explaining your background and your motivation and your successful campaign. Thank you so much, David Martin, representing the 48th House District beginning in January, a Republican of Davis. And David Martin, thanks for being our guest. That's great, Bill. Thank you. We'll be back in a minute. You're listening to The Political Insider with Bill Ballinger on MTN. Here's Bill. We have returned, and we have on the line with us Ken Borton, who is a Republican from Gaylord, and he was elected in November to represent the 105th House District, which includes, I believe, all are part of Otsego, Oscoda, Antrim, uh, Charlevoix, and Montmorency counties. Is that correct, Ken Borton? Yep, that is correct, Bill. It's great to be with you, and yes, my uh, district covers all of those five counties. And I think you are going to succeed Tristan Cole, I think, who was the majority floor leader for the House Republicans in this last session. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, uh, Representative Cole has uh, been there for six years. He's term limited out. And, uh, yes, he is the uh, current majority floor leader. So you had how many opponents in the primary? Uh, There was three of us. Uh, there was a gentleman from uh, Central Lake, which was in Antrim County, and then a general, uh, gentleman from uh, Boyne City in uh, Charlevoix County. Are all these counties, uh, the five that I mentioned, I, maybe you don't have all of them, but are they about equal in population? Uh, they're pretty close. Charlevoix, Antrim, and Otsego are all similar in size. And then uh, Montmorency and Oscoda which is a pretty rural area of northern Michigan, are uh, are smaller than the other three. Right. Well, you uh, won the primary and then the general election. This is a Republican district. Um, what did you encounter campaigning this year in the midst of coronavirus? Wow. Yeah, it, it was definitely an interesting year. Uh, you know, I've been a county commissioner for five terms up here, and uh, never campaigned any of any of those years. Actually, I, I, I just stayed involved in the community, which I have been involved, you know, through Rotary and church and you know different uh, organizations up here. So I knew this year uh, was going to be a lot different. But uh, I actually I started in August. I announced in August of 2019. Uh, I knew I was going to do this, so I, I really got a, a, an early start on the competition. And uh, just spent a lot of time doing what I'm doing, or doing doing what I do, uh, getting out, meeting with people, and uh, you know, finding out what the issues are here in Northern Michigan. And then uh, once uh, Corona started, uh, I had already 
visited literally hundreds of businesses, knocked hundreds of doors at that point. Uh, I actually wound up uh, testing positive in March, and uh, that kind of put a crimp on my campaigning right there. But uh, all in all, I uh, I was happy with the, with the folks I was able to get out and talk to and meet. You didn't suffer uh, physically or health-wise uh, when you tested positive or afterwards? Uh, how did yeah. you have to recuperate? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I was pretty sick for a few weeks. Uh, I came down with it uh, on the latter part of March and actually uh, tested positive on April 1st. My uh, my wife is an RN, and ironically, she was laid off because she works at the COVID hospital here, and uh, she works in the surgery department. They weren't doing surgeries. <clears throat> Excuse me. So she was with me every day, and she could see my health was deteriorating, and of course, she was checking on me. <clears throat> and then finally, she decided that uh, she had seen enough. Uh, she could tell by checking with me, you know, that I had developed uh, pneumonia at that point. She wound up taking me to the emergency room. And uh, that's when they uh, finally discovered what, what the issue uh, was with me. And so, but I had fully recovered. My wife, even though she was with me for 24 7, uh, never got it during that time. Wow. But uh, <laughs> she wound up getting it uh, last month, the second oh. week in November. No she came down with it, and oh. she's just now uh, getting over it, and she's back to work now. So both of us are doing fine. We both survived it just fine, but it, it's definitely something I wouldn't wish on anybody. Oh, boy. What a story. Well, tell me more of the Ken Borton story, your background, and how you got to where you are right now. Yeah. Well, first of all, my uh, being in politics was never something that uh, was on my bucket list by any means. Uh, I, I actually grew up in the metro Detroit area. I spent the first 40 years of my life. But during that time, I always enjoyed coming to northern Michigan, whether it was the snowmobile or to ski or snowshoe or or hike, or any of the things that uh, Northern Michigan has to offer. So I got a chance to uh, move up here in 1995, and uh, I did. And uh, I, you know, planned on just coming up here and minding my own business. Uh, my background has always been uh, real estate and property management, and uh, sold everything off to move up north and, and live my dream. And uh, about 11 years ago, I had a bird feeder outside my house, and I've got a webcam trained on it. And the DNR uh, saw deer come to my bird feeder, which if you've got a bird feeder in northern Michigan, you're going to have deer at some point. <laughs> and they wound up picketing me. So I, uh, I took it to court and won. And, uh, of course, that didn't make them very happy. So they came out again, and they ticketed me again and hey. took them to court again. Uh, this time, the judge ruled the law unconstitutional, which really upset the DNR. So uh, <laughs> they decided to come after me again, and my attorney said, Ken, you've got to go to Lansing. They're going to continue to do this until you're broke. They've got more money than you do. you got to get this changed. Wow. And, of course, I had you know, nothing to do with politics or you know, didn't care much for politicians, to tell you the truth. But I decided to go down. So we testified. Uh, they, they wound up changing it. People were allowed to feed birds again without worrying about you know, getting a misdemeanor. And uh, from that, I didn't realize that when you take the DNR to court and you win in northern Michigan, it makes you very popular. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I, I was asked to run for county commissioner, which I didn't even know what a county commissioner was. And, uh, but it was by my county commissioner. He said he's retired and he'd like me to run. So uh, I went and filled out the paperwork, and that was it. You know, I, I thought about it, 
and talk with my wife and says, you know, I, I really don't know if I want to do this or not. <clears throat> I mean, I'd like to be able to help people and, and some of the good things you can do. But so anyways, I did no campaigning, did absolutely nothing. And then I got a call on election night from the clerk congratulating me to which I think I said something like, oh, what did I just get myself into? <laughs> <clears throat> so from there, I thought, well, I need to find out what a county commissioner does. I got involved with the Michigan Association of Counties there in Lansing. Uh, ultimately became their uh, their president down there. In fact, uh, I'm the immediate past president right now. So uh, I, I found through that experience, I was able to really help a lot of people that face some of the issues I did with, you know, government overreach, uh, you know, the bureaucracy, the red tape you have to go through. And so I was approached uh, when they told me that, you know, Representative Cole was term limited out and uh, asked me if I was interested in running. And of course, my first response was, why? You know, I love northern Michigan. I'm perfectly happy up here. But obviously, ultimately, I made the decision to, to go ahead and run. And I did and was successful. And I'm looking forward to you know taking office January 1st and really making a difference. That's an incredible story. I mean, for you to go from uh, hardly even knowing what a county commissioner was uh, a decade ago to the very top of the Michigan Association of County Commissioners, uh, I mean, that's just unbelievable. A great achievement. Congratulations. Yeah, well, probably my only skill set is I know how to surround myself with people that are smarter than I am. And I, I've been very, very fortunate in that regards that uh, I was able to bring a lot of people that uh, have come around me to help me. And uh, it, it, it's certainly not because I was always the most intelligent guy at the table, but uh, I was certainly one that was willing to, uh, to stick my neck out and try to do what's right for the people. Well, we're running out of time, but very quickly, I mean, are there issues that you're focused on right now that are maybe the same or slightly different from everything you've encountered over the last 25 years in northern Michigan? Yeah, well, the issues are, are going to be different, obviously, because a lot of these issues are statewide. You know, I've been pretty much focused on, uh, you know, my county here, Otsego County, where I'm at. And then, of course, as president of MAC, I was, uh, you know, overseeing all 83 counties in the state. So I've got some idea of uh, of what's necessary. Some of the things that we're really faced with up here uh, you know, that I hear from my constituents all the time is, uh, you know, we need better broadband service. We need better cell phone services. As you well know, we even had trouble connecting today, which I have from my own house. Uh, we need to get businesses reopened. Uh, in northern Michigan, 80% of the people up here or more that are employed either own or work for a small business, and, and it has just devastated families up here. So those are some of the things we're looking at. The, probably the top three things I heard the most on the campaign trail excuse me, were uh, concerns, again, about government overreach, concerns about being overtaxed, and people being concerned about their guns being taken away. I'm in a pretty conservative district. So those are the things I heard the most. And, of course, obviously on everybody's mind right now is uh, is what's going on with the elections and, and how can we secure those going forward. Right. Uh, we're, as I said, almost out of time. But, do you... in fact, we are out of time. <laughs> So I'm oh, not going sorry, Bob. We'll, we'll no, have to chat not, again. Yeah, it's not your fault. It's my fault. I, I did uh, ask enough questions, but you gave fantastic answers, and you've got a great story. And congratulations on your win in this year's election. Ken Borton, Republican of Gaylord, he's going to represent the 105th House District beginning in January. Going to be a lot of excitement. The Republicans uh, of which party he is a member 
have the majority, 58-52, and we'll see what happens. Thank you, Ken Borton. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year.